If you're keeping track, we are on week 211 of our study in Jeremiah. And something that struck me after spending time in this book are the ways that churches now are really similar in attitude to the Israelites from the Old Testament. Both groups derive a lot of their ideas and perspectives from their identity as God's chosen people. And both, I'd argue, have a sense of entitlement to what we've defined as the blessings of God. At least the white suburban American church shares this trait with Old Testament Israel, though we aren't often humble enough to admit it. One major difference, however, lies in the at times extreme individualization of our faith that's common for us now. The me and Jesus idea is so deeply seated in many of our minds that we take the words from the Bible that are meant for the community and apply them just to us. We don't really worry about our collective life as God's people. We don't often even feel connected to other Christians in that way. As an example, Curtis and I were on staff at a really big church that went into crisis back in March of 2018. It was in the news and everything. But my hunch is that you don't feel all that connected to that situation. You might not even know what I'm talking about. And this past week, another large church was in crisis and their pastor resigned. And again, I don't feel personally connected. Like, that isn't my church. One problem with this, though, is that our collective identity really matters if we're going to understand what's going on as Christians in the U.S. today. Consider, someone tweeted about a sort of peripheral issue to that second church's situation, and the tweet said, I don't know anyone who doesn't know someone who was sexually abused by a youth pastor. And whether the statement is totally true is actually less important than the fact that when people read it, they nodded along and went, that tracks. It's an example of how perception is more important than reality, and in fact, creates reality. It means to a regular person, churches aren't safe. And I offer that as just one example that points to the bigger reality. It may have snuck up on us, caught us by surprise, or make us feel defensive. But the fact is that when Christians fail or harm or just plain act like jerks over and over, the effect is that the church, all of us, faded into irrelevance. In other words, we are in exile. It's not the most winsome statement for a Sunday sermon. We, the U.S. Church of 2020, are in an exile of irrelevance. For centuries, the church in the West had a certain amount of cultural influence, a certain position. And of course, we know the power of the white Western church is not actually the same as the effect of a community living out the values of Jesus. That's actually part of the problem in demonstrating that power and using it wrongly time and time again. We ended up finding that the influence we held faded in all sorts of ways. And now when we were live as a group, we stopped here and actually turned into a space of conversation to talk about the various examples that we can pull from our own lives of how this has happened, how we faded from the center, especially out of our own doing. And I imagine that you can think of an example or two as well. Now, if we can accept this premise that we are in exile, or at least try it on for size, It'll help us considerably as we dive into this section of Jeremiah about the remnant. In Jeremiah, hope for God's restoration began with a promise about a remnant that would be faithful, just a fraction. God didn't promise restoration for everyone, 
that's due in no small part to the fact that the majority of folks had shown that given the choice, they choose the idols. Only a remnant want God. And so here is what God says to the exiles of 600 BC. We use the translation that scholar John Golden Gay provides in his book, Jeremiah for Everyone. And that different translation is actually pretty helpful today, especially because we're going to be in a chapter and coming to a verse that could probably top the list of most decontextualized and hyper-individualized verses ever. Here's what it says. These are the words in the document that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exilic community, the priests, the prophets, and the entire people that Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Yahweh armies, Israel's God, has said this to the entire exilic community that I sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live there. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so they may have sons and daughters. Become many there. Don't become few. Seek the well-being of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray on its behalf to Yahweh because in its well-being, there will be well-being for you. Because Yahweh's armies, Israel's God has said this, your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners must not deceive you. You must not listen to your dreams, which you are dreaming because they are prophesying to you falsely in my name. I haven't sent them. Yahweh's declaration. Because Yahweh has said this, at the completion of Babylon of 70 years, I'll deal with you and perform for you my message about good things, returning you to this place. Because I myself acknowledge the intentions that I am formulating for you, intentions for your well-being and not for evil, to give you a future, a hope. You will call me and come and plead with me and I'll listen to you. You'll inquire of me and find me if you seek help from me with your entire spirit. I'll be available to you and I'll restore your fortunes. I'll drive together from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you. I'll return you to the place from where I've sent you into exile. That's the message to the exiles of 600 BC. God saying, you need to decide still, if you'll listen to me, then settle in and practice being there in Babylon, who I wished you'd be here in Israel. And the evidence will be the good you usher in for your little pocket of Babylon. The evidence will be the expansion of our community from just you few. And then as you practice faithfulness there, then you'll come to a renewed dreaming with me of a future where you call for me and come to me and ask for my help and ask for my answers. And I'll hear you and respond to you. And then after that, in the long run, I'll bring you back. I was struck in studying by something that John Golden Gay wrote about this section of Jeremiah 29. He said, if God has taken it into exile so that the church no longer counts in our culture, we need to settle down in that position until God wants to restore us rather than trying to turn the church into something the culture wants. Again, he said, if God has taken it into exile so that the church no longer counts in our culture, we need to settle down in that position until God wants to restore us rather than trying to turn the church into something the culture wants. As the church has attempted to do just that, we've often hurt people, not helped, not always, not in everything, but enough. What does it look like if instead we settle down? Here's what we're going to discuss with the rest of our time together. What might God say to the exiles of 2020? 
What does it sound like to draw parallels from Jeremiah 29 to the exiles of 600 BC to today? Three things I want to draw out here. First, in verses 12 and 13, God says, you will call me and come and plead with me and I'll listen to you. You'll inquire of me and find me if you seek help from me with your entire spirit. Exiles of 2020, we need to decide if we want to follow Jesus. You'll need to decide if you want to follow Jesus. Like, it's cool that you respect him or think he was a good guy, but really what Jesus said to folks 2,000 years ago is what he still says. Follow me. And you need to answer yes or no. And by this, I don't mean pray the prayer or any other ritual of declaring faith per se. Those can be important markers in our stories. But I mean that we have an everyday yes to say to Jesus or not. And no single prayer prayed or one-time ritual observed, even church attendance, can stand in for that everyday yes. Israel had a sense of entitlement to God's provision and protection. And so do we. It actually kept them from accepting that God was going to move in and through really hard things. But the remnant are the few that see what has happened, see this exile, and rather than say, well, I'd never turn to a God who let this happen to us. Instead, they say, wow, we really missed it. We missed what God had for us. And I'm so glad that it's not too late to come back. We choose Jesus, the person. That's not the same as wanting the provision or the protection. We choose the person and every day say yes. Second, in verses five to seven, God says, build houses, grow gardens, expand families, and seek the well-being of the city where I've sent you into exile. Pray on its behalf to Yahweh because in its well-being, there will be well-being for you. Exiles of 2020, we need to be an actual source of good in our circles of influence. We need to be an actual source of good in our circles of influence. We have the same charge to seek the welfare of the city. Settle in to the places that we live and work, drive, shop, and be an active force for the betterment of those places. We need to make them better with our words, our money, our vote, our attention. In your pocket of Southern California, you need to do the things that make life better for your neighbor as a representative of God's dream. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, this is also a verse that God has used profoundly for a lot of people in their individual lives. And the Holy Spirit not only can, but does, take verses out of context and give them new life in a person's story. Goodness, this happens when Jesus and Paul interpret Old Testament texts. It is totally God's prerogative to do that kind of interpretation. But sometimes it's helpful to look back at the first time and the first place where that word came to, where God is saying, I know the plans I have for you all, plans to prosper you all and not to harm you all, plans to give you all a hope and a future. This is a word for a group and it's a word for the remnant. It's not even for everyone in Israel, really, just a few. And it's certainly not for me and for you to claim as our own personal promise. 
Not because God doesn't love you or wish to see you flourish and be filled with hope. God absolutely does. But also, there's no good in a hope that's just for me. If it's going to be biblical hope, it must be a hope that we will become a community of faithfulness, love, and shalom seeking in this world. Third, in Jeremiah 29, 6, God has three words, become many there, become many there. Exiles of 2020 will need to courageously reimagine multiplication. In many ways, this section of Jeremiah echoes the directives that God has given the people before. At creation, God says, become many and help the world flourish. To Abraham and Sarah, God says, you'll become many and your family will bless the world so they can flourish. And now they're in exile with less power and less influence. And so they're off the hook for their purpose. No. Still become many there. Multiply. And be in Babylon who you were made to be in Israel. Be on Zoom who you were made to be in neighborhoods. We may be in exile. We may be in quarantine, but those things don't mean that God will change the purpose of being a church now. Jesus too said, go and make disciples of all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Trinity and teach them to observe all that I commanded you. The first disciples could have settled in and enjoyed their insider status, a small band of friends eating and talking about Jesus's words together. But the charge was to bring others into this disciple life, too. Now, just like in Jeremiah, if we listen to Jesus's words with our individualized perspective, then we're each going to think that we are supposed to go out and, I don't know, convert people all by ourselves. But Jesus was speaking to a group with a group project. Multiply. We are going to be Pomona Valley Church on Zoom for at least six more months. And we can log in and enjoy this time together and have virtual brunch. And in January of 2021, we would be just the same little group as we are right now. We're good, or we can multiply. And this ties into being a source of good. We aren't individual little fairies sprinkling the pixie dust of kindness around, hoping that people decide that by magic they wanna come to church. No, we, Pomona Valley Church, are trying to be a good group to join, an easy group to join, a fun group to join. And then we need to invite people to join, to say, we're good, but you'd make it better. In other words, we're trying to say an everyday yes to Jesus, and we're working to be a genuine source of good, and we want you to do that with us too. So three questions, Pomona Valley Church. Whether you join us on Zoom or join us through this podcast, what is your everyday yes to Jesus look like right now? Who is around you needing that yes so that you'll bring good their way in Jesus' name? And who is around you needing your invitation to join with others trying to say yes to Jesus and be a source of good? May you have courage to say yes to Jesus, to the good work that is yours to do, and to the invitation you need to courageously extend. Amen.